As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to The Ruck, your weekly podcast from The Times and Sunday Times. I'm Alex Lowe, back from sold-out Welford Road, which was brilliant to see, although that wasn't replicated everywhere across the league, as I'm, I'm sure we'll come to. Uh, joining me today are Alan Dimmock, features editor from Rugby World magazine, and he's brought with him Rugby World's the top 10 of their top 100 players of the year. And I, br- I brought my tin hat with me as well. <laughs> And, uh, and Mark Evans uh, is back uh, in the hot seat to offer all his wisdom and insight into the Premiership and matters beyond. Uh, the, the band's all back together from, from last week. It's, uh, it's a bit like, I don't know if anyone's watched Get Back, the Beatles documentary, but obviously me and Alex are the McCartney and Lennon of this. No, Editor Alfie's Ringo Starr. You're more Yoko Ono. <laughs> I think it's me thinking no one else was available, mate. That's why we're all back together. Uh, good weekend, everyone. Yeah, yeah, um, yes. Um, I was at the boxing Saturday night. That was that was quite interesting. Uh, the Copper Box, um, but yeah, went to Welford Road. Invited up for Welford Road, um, and and I thought it was a terrific game. Yeah. Really enjoyed it, and uh, I thought there were two absolutely high quality games. I haven't seen all of the games, but I've seen three or four. Uh, I thought the game at Exeter and the game at Leicester were 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 right out the top draw. Al? Yeah, um, some exciting rugby to talk about. We can also throw it forward to to Europe next week. One of the things I noticed at the weekend was uh, a fantastic line-out peel move scored by La Rochelle. We'll see La Rochelle um, next week. Bougarit came round, and actually it was, I was reflecting on how common it is at the moment to see peel moves from line-outs come back into fashion, see hookers uh, coming round the back with the ball in their hands. We saw... Um, Ronan Kelleher did it well for Ireland um, against Argentina uh, in the November test. England women, Vicky Cornbrough scored a try from the back of uh, against the USA to open the scoring in that one. Um, you know, it's just keen to see the moves. I'm, I'm hoping that in Europe and go, going ahead to the Six Nations, we'll see plenty more of that stuff come back in. And actually, one question I want to ask you guys. A couple of weeks ago, we saw the Barbarians against South Africa women score a wall move. Would we like to see wall oh, moves come back? Wall move, definitely. No question. Yeah, bring back the wall. Absolutely. They, they were trying. They tried like NFL snaps and everything in that game, but the wall move took me right back. I, <laughs> why I love, and and why, why would you not try it? No one knows where it's coming. I, out. D- I did a piece for Rugby World uh, during the twelfth lockdown. It's hard to keep keep track of how many we've done. And I actually asked like a load of coaches and players and former players what they do. Surprisingly, a surprising amount of elite players said. 
yeah, maybe for free kicks, but not from penalties because it's just you better to play the percentages and kick to the corner and, and that right. kind of thing. But I don't know. I just want to see more of it. But if it's if you're going to take, we went through a phase of picking the uh, the tap and and go from a from five meters out. Exeter were doing a lot of it. Wasps did it, did it a bit. You could just set up a wall there, couldn't you? You could. Uh, uh, whether it would, well, look. Someone's give it a go, eh? Oh, someone, it. someone give it a go and see if it see if it works. To see if it still works. We're all standing there, like all moving our arms left and right, pretending which. So it's, no one and it's a great way to go. waste time at training. Yeah. That's, it's, it's always <laughs> a, that's 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 uh, that's always a big plus too. So coming up now on the pod, Alan Dimmock has brought with him the list of Rugby World's top 100 players of the year. We'll dive into a, a brilliant weekend of Premiership rugby. Jess Hayden will give us her roundup on the latest in the women's game. And we will have our weekly God or Goddess or Devil of the Week. We'll start with uh, a look at the top 10 in particular of Rugby World's top 100 best players in the world. And we should, I'll throw over to Al because there are, there are ground rules in place and you should probably tell us how, first of all, how they compiled this list, who qualifies, and then you can probably give us a, the top 10 rundown. Yeah, so yeah, I suppose it's good to give a bit of context here. But um, people are going to shout at us regardless. Have we ever watched any rugby? Um, <laughs> but uh, every couple of years or so, uh, there are a couple of things that we've we've made flagship issues of uh, at the magazine. One one of which is the most influential people in the world. Which I must admit, I get more emails about from uh, people behind the scenes of rugby wanting to make the list than anything else. Um, but we're now on to our hundred best players in the world list. Um, always a contentious one. So. D- just to give people an idea of how we put it to how how these idiots put it together we um we ask contributors across the world from all over um to send us their thoughts on who they think the best players in the world are at the moment. not a full hundred list but who they think deserves um coverage we um we it's for the men's game the women's game and sevens so so we have as broad a spectrum as possible Obviously, when you're putting a list like that together, certain criteria needs. To, uh, it's not possible. Like, you know, if you were to compare uh, a, a pure power uh, c- compared, then it would be all men's fifteens players that would make the list. Probably all test players that would make the list. But what we look at is who's offered something special uh, in the last calendar year, um, and also when it comes down to looking at positions, different genders, example, we we bring it down to influence. Um, so we've got some really interesting. Um, people uh, names brought in one of the other criteria is that we, we if you've been out for most of the year with injury we won't consider you so I'm aware that it'll anger some people but for example Peter Steph de Troyes and um, uh, Emily Scarrett aren't considered because they've just missed too much rugby this season we just haven't been able to, to see them out in the field so so they're not in there we're aware that they are incredible rugby players <laughs> and amongst the best in the world but they, they couldn't make this list for those reasons so um, we're hoping it'll, yeah so we're hoping it'll generate a lot of debate but um, in fact Steve our own Steve Jones uh, long-term uh, contributor to Rugby World was part of our panel discussion once we got all the names in to try and figure out who's where and he made a staunch um he made a staunch argument for uh, Lucanio Am to be the number one player on his list. He didn't quite make it, but he is in the top 10. So I'll just give you a rundown uh, from 10 to 1. 10, Sam Whitelock. 9, Tom Curry. 8, Cheslin Colby. 7, Lucanio Am. 6, Aaron Smith. 5, Taniela Tupo. 4, Michael Hooper. 3, Maro Itoje. 2, Ardi Savea. And 1, uh, the wee magician, Antoine Dupont. 
Now, of course, this is what's great about our game is we'll debate and we'll argue and we'll shout uh, about what the list is. Uh, Producer Alfie's already raised his eyebrows at Tanya Latupo being so high that he's got a nosebleed on the list. But that's what it's all about. Obviously, there are 90 other names on the list that you can go through, a mix of players from all over. But yeah, just an interesting talking point. Lacanio Am's a bit too mainstream a selection for Steve and probably a bit too young, a bit too informed. I'm, so, I'm surprised. <laughs> surprised he mounted such an argument. It doesn't normally doesn't fit Steve's usual criteria for for an international player. So right, let's have it then. Uh, you know, where, where have we blown a gasket here? Well, so, where the hell's Tig Furlong then? Yeah, That's what right. I want to know. Yeah. I mean, come on, he's the best tight head in the world, and I think there's 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 anti front row bias in this running through this whole list and it and 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 Tupo's just a token you know where is Marshall and where is Tig Furlong well you'll have to buy the issue to see where they, they <laughs> land on the list Mark but I think it's obvious that they're on the list I mean they are incredible players and it's yeah. yeah I mean we talked round and round and round and round as we always do I mean the long list was at least 250 people that you have to cram down and it's, mean, we got more savage the longer that the uh, autumn uh, internationals went on mm-hmm. to be fair there were people that were much higher on the list that got jettisoned just a few interesting things that came down and we've got a great column from um, Jimmy Gopart in the magazine actually about what it's like juggling playmakers in a squad um, obviously he's had recent experience of that with Wasps with playing with Jacob Umanga um, at 10 and inside centre mixing that up and it's uh, an interesting one if you just step down a level I think I'll, I'll let this slip I'll get this one past my editors if you look at the next bracket of players underneath the top 10 there is uh, there are two All Blacks fly halves at 14 and 15 um, mm. um, and it's just one has got the nod ahead of the other <laughs> on the list but there's plenty of interesting stuff in that I mean before that game against the All Blacks for example who would you have put as the 10 for France who was leading the line for that one so there's lots of mm. within the list mm. there are lots of interesting subjects I, I thought that the things that stood out for me were yeah, no fly half in the top 10 in the world I don't know whether you go back through your issues but that would be, must be a pretty rare Pretty rare occurrence that there isn't a isn't a, a playmaker. Obviously, Antoine Dupont's in there, but you know, a, a playmaker at number ten in that in that top ten. I had, yeah, no furlong and and even Etzebeth. I thought unfortunate to not make it with White Lock in. I thought he would have, particularly with Itoji as high up as he was mm. in your list at number three. In what and he, I know he was nominated for World Player of the Year, but I didn't think it was his best year of, of his career and. He had some good battles against Ibn Etzebeth and I'd have, I'd have, I would have, I'm not saying Etzebeth would have been my number one, but I think he'd have had a strong argument to, to be top ten. Look, I, what I will say is uh, we can throw some people under the bus if we were discussing when we went round the t- <laughs> when we went round the panel and discussed our own top fives. Someone sitting in this room might have suggested Ibn Etzebeth was was in the, the top five. But, however, yeah. I stand by this list. Yeah, I have to. I have yeah, to. You have to. <laughs> of course you do. But I mean, the thing is, it's like it's like when they say who's the greatest player of all time. It's a, mm. it's a question you can't. It's good fun and it stimulates discussion and debate and interest and all the rest of it. And that's that's all good things. But I mean, it's a it's a it's a thankless task of, to which there is never a final answer is there it's like yeah. positional do you say right that that's a little bit more you can you can have a crack at that who's the best scrum half in the world who's the best center in the world i think once you start become multi-positional like this i think you come did you say it was influence in the end of the day was that yeah, was so, the measure yeah yeah so i if, think that's the only way you can do yeah, it yeah if it was it, really? a tie break it was influence on the team on on 
the market on fans, mm. um, you know, just how important they are to sides. And bearing in mind that we're talking about some world-crushing sides yeah. uh, through, through this year. I mean, uh, I think people will look at the list and be like, yeah, okay. If you look at the national breakdown, there's quite a few England names in there, but England women were dominant when they got the chance to, to finally strap the boots on again so it's it's only fair to reflect that and, and where the global game is going at the moment the interesting thing is whilst we're talking here around where certain front five players should be meriting I don't think any of us are arguing too vehemently about the, the top two because no. it's undeniable that Antoine Dupont and Ardi Savea have had phenomenal years of rugby uh, I mean, how close can you say how close they were one and two uh, there were there were a couple of votes um, around mm. the table that split them in the end, um, and as I say, it's we, you spend a lot of time talking around in circles because everyone has their favourites, and that's what makes this a worthwhile exercise. Is it's a good opportunity, however you cut it up, is to debate your favourite players, and we have seen some phenomenal folk at the moment. But it is it was clear that those two were were surging ahead, and then it was eatsy peetsy about where we were putting the rest of the players in in the list below. Um, you know, I, I don't think it fully reflects the the World Rugby's Player of the Year vote that's only come down to four players. Um, you know, we we have Michael Hooper in there, and I think a lot of people were arguing for some. A couple of people were arguing for him to be number one based on the season that he'd had. Um, it didn't shake shake out like that. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about phenomenal rugby players. I mean, and we're and actually, it's what you need to divorce yourself from when we're talking about this list is all time greats because. This this list will be completely different when it, a few years from now when oh, we discuss be be all, next year. Won't it? Yeah, next year will be different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Aaron Smith will go down as one of the greatest players that this game has seen. But mm. just based on the competition that he had with Antoine Dupont in the end, and how those those two have had had a year, it was just we had to give the nod to certain players. And I suppose you got one or two players who don't play international rugby. Yes, sort of probably don't get the recognition, maybe. I mean, I would say that Radrada's influence on a game, and look at the game on uh, Friday night. He came on and he just completely changed the game. One guy. Mm. That's very, very rare. That's unusual, particularly a centre. An outside centre at that. And I suppose he doesn't play international rugby. Well, not at the moment he doesn't, or not very often. Um, and, and I mean, remember, this is a time where he's an interesting case to take, actually, because obviously he went and won an Olympic gold medal. But by the same token, there are you have to take into account um, your own peripheral vision and how much rugby you see from other places. Mm. So there's an interesting point within within this list of 100 where you go, he's had some trouble with injury since the Olympics. Um, where does he uh, compare to his national teammate Joshua Tuasova, who has had a phenomenal season yeah. for Lyon in the top 14? And it's this that's why this list is so interesting, because it gives you an opportunity to go, yeah, sure, but what about this person that you haven't seen too much of? It gives us an opportunity, because we have to live up to our mass head, to shine a spotlight on players from lesser seen corners. It's, it's bizarre to say that the top 14 is a lesser seen corner, but uh, you know, Tuasova has had a phenomenal year for Lyon. You can, you can measure Rendrandra's influence by how Bristol has struggled without him. Absolutely, yeah. So, he is so important to, to them because he's so good. And that that the notion of influence, those that top four, Dupont, Surveyor, Itoji, Hooper, are just enormous for their respective teams. Hey, I, I, if I was going to be really picky about that, I'm Very not, unlikely. Yeah, very likely. I'm not sure that... Marrow at the moment does enough going forward to merit that kind of ranking. 
He's a he's a marvellous defensive player. He's a great line out forward, and he's a he's a wonderful um, disruptor. But he, he doesn't make many line breaks. He's not a he's not a, he's not an absolute power in the land in, with the ball in hand. And and I mean, you meant and somebody was it? I can't remember. Mentioned uh, another oh, Estevez. He he does both, yeah. in my view, and 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 that's why I think, and look, we've all got our particular views, and and it is you're quite right. It's coloured by the games you watch, and we tend to have our favourite competitions that we watch, and then we don't watch the other ones quite as much, and all that sort of it. But I of of all of the, the those, and it's quite interesting that a guy who doesn't get picked, picked in the run on team for Australia is in at number five because he often doesn't get a start. He's very, very impactful, very, very impactful, but he often doesn't get a start. That looks a little bit inflated. They, neither of those two would be in my top five. Who was in your? So you, who was your top five? Al, can you say? Or who's your number one? I've I've just gone back through my top five list actually, and uh, I'm going to have to self police here. I, I didn't have Elizabeth in my top five. Ah. I uh, I've completely misremembered that to make myself look better. And you know what the reason is is because we had this lunch. Uh, I think after uh, a round of the so our lists changed based on what happened in the in autumn, but we compiled the skeleton of a, a long list before uh, what I think I think it was one game into the the autumn autumn test. So. Um, We'd only seen a little bit uh, of action, but my top five was Dupont, Savia, Whitelock, uh, Tupo and Natoji, actually. And th- that was based on what we'd seen at the, s- the start of November, and we'd seen Tupo um, running riot. It's an interesting point, that, because that comes down to the influence criteria um, in the modern game. Do you need to be starting to have an influence on the game? A lot of coaches would argue that actually... I hate the phrase, but it's the finishers, you oh, know, okay. the diabolical phrase. But the the idea of a of a of a squad and who who can influence games and actually, I mean, we were seeing him throw offloads for beautiful tries mm. and uh, perform very well going forward. Of course, that would be revised afterwards because then we saw later in the in November he was he was hurt playing against Scotland and we saw Etzebeth just rise and rise and rise and Atoji maybe not quite. So perhaps the shortlist would have been different uh, from, from my 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 point of view uh, once we got to the end of November. But we had to compile something, and actually, you know, we talked it through. We shifted a lot of plates um, to to move people around, and yeah, it's just it's just a fascinating discussion to have. Mm. And uh, I think what will come out is one of the things we did when we put these lists together is we sought opinion from players as much as possible. To talk about the qualities of, of folks. So, for example, when we we wrote about Ardi Sevi, I spoke to Victor Vito about what made him so special as a number eight, and it's one of the things that we kept hearing from fellow pros is uh, yardage after contact, yardage after contact, but also um, an adventurousness in defence. He wasn't just trying to kill the ball to win a penalty; he was trying to rip it out to play with, which is something that's rarer and rarer, um, something like that. And then when we got to DuPont, the, the number of fellow nines that were falling over themselves to talk about just how special he is on both sides of the ball, physically, mentally, his kicking game, just the whole shebang. I think you can quibble about yeah, and, 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 and chat about the whole list, and I'll be really interested to see the 100 when it comes out, but I don't think there's many going to quibble with the number one, are they, at the minute? He, he is... He is very, very special. He'd be my, he'd be in my list at number one. I, because of the point that I think has just been made, 
He's so good both sides of the ball. And I think if you're going to be... If we can if you can pull something together that overcomes the sort of... the huge differences between positions when you're trying to do this sort of exercise, do they work both sides of the ball equally effectively? And there are very, very few players who are able to do that. Al, you can take off your tin hat now. We're moving on next to the latest in the Gallagher Premiership. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Moving on to the Gallagher Premiership, um, Mark, you and I were both at Welford Road on Sunday. Um, different type of hospitality, I suspect, for you and, and I. Uh, Leicester 16, Quinns 14. I thought it was a really good game. Mm, um, I agree. What did you make of it? Yeah, terrific. Um, interesting clash of styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, ironically, took out Quinns first. The, I thought their scrum, which I expected to come under real pressure didn't it was a it was very even in fact you might say it was on the wrong side for me where i was watching from but collier got two penalties quite mm. in the first half i don't know if they were deserved or not but whatever happened that front row without wilco low and without matt simmons so two of their first choice front five missing i thought did really well in the scrummage and really well in the rolling mall that the two areas where i thought they might struggle they didn't. Mm. So I think Quinns will come away from that quite encouraged, albeit disappointed that Marcus missed the most difficult kick for a right footer on the right-hand touchline right out there, um, which I don't think 16 or would have been fair. I think Leicester deserved to win. Um, I thought their power game was terrific. They won most of the collisions, uh, but couldn't quite put Quinns away, and they always looked dangerous. They always looked like they might... You know, and they lots of chances. Hugh Jones, bless him, butchered an absolute walking of a try yeah. just on half time. I felt so sorry for him because he's a talented player, and he is. It was his first big game for the club, and you could see he, did, he, he just got white line fever. I, I felt so sorry for him. Um, but Leicester, as I say, won most of the collisions. Their lineout was much better than Quinn's. Quinn's lineout fell apart a little bit, and George Ford, um, his kicking out of hand was just extraordinary. His, but mm. That spiral bomb he's got yeah. is 
so effective. It's incredibly difficult to catch. Particularly, it was quite, it was quite wet. It was, it was raining at, during times. And you, he, he put it up a couple of times. You had to feel for Tyrone Green and want to see whether thinking, oh my God, how are you going to catch that? Look how high it is. I thought Green did really well. I thought he did really, really well. He still ditched a couple, but I mean, I don't think anybody, I don't, I don't, Freddie Stewart would have got. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they deserved it. I think they look, I think they're absolutely nailed on for a top four now. I think Leicester, after nine games, they're there. They're, they're in the playoffs. Uh, I cannot see how they're not so that's one place locked up yeah. and uh, full house you know what's not to love I was talking to the to Tabai Matson afterwards and he was encouraged by the sort of the, the fight the fact they stayed in the fight yeah. and they left with a, with a bonus point but they he rued the, the missed chances early on they had uh, it was penalty against Genge kick for the corner Don Brandt ran yeah the what referee. happened there I wasn't, it was a long way from me and of course you know you don't get replays yeah. that you can see when you're watching it live, and the, I haven't watched it. The referee back. just he ran to the referee, and the referee banged and uh, then blocked Genge. And uh, okay, so that, right. that was a chance right. that, that it, went. It looked like he was going to go over. I mean, I'll be honest, yeah. it no, really was. did. They um, then kicked the corner again and lost the and leg, lost the ball and, lost, and the ball. lost the line out. Yeah, which was the Achilles heel all afternoon. Yeah, and then and then the Hugh Jones one with the with the double overlap, and there was one in the second half where Smith just overcooked a little chip towards the corner. Yes, he did. They, I thought they, I thought they played. They stayed in it, which was, which was a side of their game that they're not. I agree. They're not renowned for at the moment. No, I agree. And but they, as Tabai said afterwards, we know winter's coming. We're going to have to scrap a few games out here. And actually, they left frustrated with themselves, but in, uh, encouraged. I, I think both teams can take a lot out of that. Leicester were delighted to win. You can yeah. see in their body language they they are on a roll, and you know they they won both of their games in the Premiership Cup, and, and they're, they're on a. They've really got momentum, and and this, I mean, I I know we're talking about, it, but the the board, we were talking, but the Bordeaux game is going to be terrific. Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought uh, you you mentioned Ford there. We'll go on to your concept, but you mentioned Ford and Youngs were, you know, they rolled back the years. Yeah, they did those two, and I thought the way that Ford managed the game, opposite Smith, opposite a team who they knew that they knew that Quins would keep coming at them, and Quins did keep coming at yeah. them. So they just challenged them. If you're going to win this game. You're going to have to win it from your own 22. And they pinned them down that and last they, quarter. And they nearly did. And they nearly did. And, yeah. and it took the try that, that Louis Liner scored, which got them back to, to the, the conversion to draw level, it was a stolen line out on halfway, a fizzed flat, really quick pass from Marcus Smith, which took them outside Leicester. And then Louis Liner's skill to, to, to get it, drop it onto his boot and chip it through so accurately was, was really impressive. Yeah. And, the, and they stayed in there. But... I just thought Ben Young's played one of the best games I've seen him play. I think he lasted about an hour, but he was making breaks. He was fending people off. He was he was a running threat and a pass. I thought he was excellent. Um, and and Ford on his first game for Leicester since announcing he was leaving, mm. he had a few. They, both of those players had points to make. I thought you know Ford needed to convince sold out Wilford Road that he was still their yeah. their man for the rest He's of still the there. season, and he did so. He was also opposite Marcus Smith. Obvious points to be made to um, the England your your dining partners in the uh, hospitality suites from the England coaching <laughs> set up, um, and 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 they both they both made them. And and Ben Youngs has got young scrum halves snapping his heels, Van Portfleet to yeah. Leicester, and then the, the whole the whole cohort of them with England. Um, and see, Borthwick was saying afterwards that he he came in pre season. And wrote and, and sat down with Wigglesworth, 
sat down with the, the coaches and, and set out his own plan because he he's not prepared to hand over those that's quite those clear. nine jerseys and he's taking his game on and the last one I'm making this one Freddie Stewart yeah yeah <laughs> every time I see him the bloke's so impressive does he yeah. ever drop the ball that fella I mean it was a wet old day Marcus Smith put up some really pretty you know pretty decent mm. kicks that were asking a few questions he never looked like dropping it, and he's got a good kick it game as well. I thought the way that Stewart and Smith, uh, sorry, Stewart and Ford kicked from the backfield yeah. was probably that and the winning the collisions were the two things that probably got him over the line. But look, great game, high quality, top of the table stuff. That's what you. That's what we want from the from the from the competition. Yeah, and it, it felt to me like well, you know, we've seen some some classic, some humdingers that Quinns have been involved in this this season. This game and, and Exeter Saracens, I thought, on, on um, earlier in the weekend, were, were, were similar in that there, were, there was there was heavy on strategy. You know, there wasn't a lot of pizzazz. There was quite a lot of kicking. But it, for me, it was it was compelling um, strategic rugby and I was into it rather than we rewind up to a year or so ago and it was just like, Let's just wait and see what happens. This they, was teams trying to make things. They happen. were trying to play. Yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah. they were both, 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 all four teams. Well, actually, three. I, I don't think Saracens tried to play very much, if I'm honest. But they were, uh, do they you were see, too busy. Do you, see the, do you see the Exeter Saracens game? I uh, did. Yeah, I think Saracens were too busy being marched backwards. I will come back to that. But, but I thought the three teams, and I found both games really compelling, and I think they are exactly what you would expect from a high quality competition when you, the top teams play each other. I mean, they. They do play in a different way. Interesting in it, Quinns didn't kick for the corner quite a lot. Hmm. No, they kicked for they kicked three points. You know, they 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 did change their strategy a fair bit um, against certain other teams. They don't, they never kick at goal. Um, and I, I thought Exeter were back, yeah. if I'm honest. And I thought the two guys who stood out for me, these have to be a genius. Whether Cow and Dickey had a stormer, and Henry Slade. Hmm. Is in a rich vein of form. So, uh, I mean, if you rewind a week, uh, we had this exact same panel, and we were just Mark and I were discussing how Exeter just don't seem to panic, and that was very much what it felt like at the weekend. They, we know what we're good at. We're not going to be flustered into doing something out of character. You know, Joe Simmons can put up a beautiful crossfield kick for O'Flaherty to claim, and you know, it just. Execution is what it's all about. But Luke Cowan-Dickey hasn't played since October. And he comes in and does from close range what Luke Cowan-Dickey does and unflustered and confident. And there's a thing that winds me up, right, is when we came through Lions Tour and all that sort of stuff and it, somehow the conversation became binary. It was, you either play rugby by chucking it about or you play completely dour stuff and there's nothing in the middle. What these two games showed is that when you find it in the middle and you have genuine tension and it's Mm. close and there's high skill but there's high stakes and there's also mistakes, that it all clicks and it's it's beautiful. It doesn't have to be free-flowing stuff to be to get bums off seats or bums in seats to begin with before the game even kicks off. Flow, doesn't it? And both games had flow. I mean, that Leicester game and was it flowed it moved yeah. it it was still really tactical and strategic and, all, and quite a lot of kicking but the thing moved and I yeah. said the same with the Exeter Saracens game well, the Exeter thing Sa- moved Exeter Saracens had a, had a brutality in the exchanges I mean it was like watching Animal Planet sometimes it was just <laughs> you know savagery going on all over and there was the there was the usual suspects I mean I saw Kirsten flying around like a missile uh, for Exeter and sometimes falling foul of the officials but as we can discuss now 
there were other people on the other side of the ball following foul of the officials where um, by all accounts some uh, Saracens players had to apologise to the teammates in the changing room after the match because four times Saracens were reprimanded by the officials and uh, after the match uh, Mark McCall pointed out that they'd lost 30 metres to being marched back I mean in a game of territory uh, mm. when, when the game is so close you can't afford to be doing that I, I think there was a bit of a hangover from Sale the week before on that that affected the referee. I think Luke Pearce is probably the second best referee in the world at the moment. Uh, but I think Wayne Barnes is probably still just about the daddy. But but I think Luke Pearce is, is terrific. He clearly went out there. I think he'd watched the Sale game. And, and there was an awful lot of chat in the Sale game from Saracens. Not directed to the referee, directed to the Sale players. Mm. And I don't think anyone's read the transcript of the... Um, McGuigan um, yeah. thing it's pretty unpleasant yeah. it's really really it's pretty unpleasant I'm all for a bit of you know sort of uh, sledging but that, I think that, that went over the line in the, and it was you, even you're, just you're watching referring it, to what Nick Tompkins yeah, I am. said yeah. to provoke and I'm McGuigan. certainly not going to repeat it on this show no. um, <laughs> but I interestingly enough I think that there, there was just watching it on television there was loads and loads of chat and quite aggressive chat coming from Saracens to the sale players, and I'm sure it was going back as well, right? But it was a nasty, there was a nasty feel about it, and I reckon Luke Pearce went into that game going, right, I'm not, Exeter Saracens got a bit of history, I'm not having any of that. And Saracens fell foul, for, as you say, four times, there's one point he said, I'm not having my decisions questioned by your 10, your 12, and your 15. It was a third of the team. I mean, that's just, there's something there two weeks in a row now it's manifested itself in different ways that they're going to have to get a grip of otherwise the officials are going to go in with a preconceived view of how that team reacts with their opposition and the officials I mean so we in the magazine that comes out with the top 100 best players in the world we've got a column every month in the magazine from the secret referee it's a, a former match official who's refereed at the top of the game who just talks about incidents and decisions but for this month we got him to talk about um Referee management from star from star players and captains, and it's an interesting viewpoint, isn't it? Because you need a relationship with the match official, but it seems like, and from the summer of discontent that we've had, we've reached a stage now where officials are there to be questioned constantly. But when it when it verges on berating people, I mean, I, I can't remember the last I can't remember the last time. Maybe someone will give me an example here where a referee has been chatted at. And they've gone, you know what? I'll reverse that decision. Thanks for that. I appreciate appreciate your candour. I mean, it's... Sam Wolverton on that line, against New Zealand on the Lions tour. Yeah, that, I, I mean, that's going a... Back a going back a long way now. Way. And, yeah. and the most polite challenge you could you could possibly recall. But... So, so what's the upshot? And and also it comes into... I, I hate I hate verging on rugby values and all that because I think it's all built on sand and it's it, it's nonsense. However... At what point is just winning the physical battle not enough? You have to rub someone's face in it or you have to make the opposition feel bad about losing that collision. Mm. Why can't you just get on with the job? Because if the job is dominating folk, great. Uh, you know, a little bit sledging here and there, yeah, fine. But this just felt like venom Venom can't just be shown in your play anymore. It has to be... Uh, it's like trash talking almost, isn't it? It, 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 it? If you're not careful, it becomes... It goes beyond sort of sledging if you want to work which is a little bit of a euphemism in, in itself mm -hmm. and it goes to the, to the next stage which is 
it's abusive and it's it's not acceptable behaviour. And I'm I agree with with you, Alan, uh, that that we're seeing more of it. And it's almost become accepted. And if the referee can't manage it, it's his problem as opposed to the players. And I, I got no time for that. You know, it's a, uh, this is. I, I tend to be quite progressive with a lot of views on the game and things that people see as, oh, that's disgusting. We need to stamp it out. Oftentimes, if it's the way that the game has evolved, I'm I'm for it. It's fine. You know, I'm not going to lose my mind over scrum feeds because that's not why a scrum is collapsing, in my opinion. Correct. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, this is probably the most old man shouts at clouds I've ever been on an issue on this podcast. But it's it's just it's just you know we we've got to a stage of the game where it's evolved where so much of it's trying to physically shame the other guy where we see torpedoes going into rucks. Why does that have to have an add-on as well as well as it? You know, I I don't mind people cheering a decision or winning a penalty. I don't care about that. I don't care about subs standing on the other side of the trial and celebrating with people. Couldn't care less. I don't care about whether a water carrier is ca- taking messages onto the pitch. I'm not really fussed at all. If it means that the game that we see is better or some team makes a tactical choice that cracks the game open and we've got something brilliant to watch, brilliant. I'm all for it. This one, the physical shaming is enough. And Luke Pearce has a, a, a strong reputation for standing up against that kind of thing. That, that's one of the, the hallmarks of his refereeing, I think, is 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 that he will take a stand against that type of behaviour. And, and, and other issues like you know teams dawdling at line-outs and things that, that work against the flow of the game. Mm. I think he's I think he's strong and I think he's good at. Uh so we were at Welford Road, which was the first sellout crowd they've had since April twenty eighteen. Um there were a few other declared sellouts around the league and I know that BT Sport had um some really positive viewing figures this weekend, but there are also grounds where the crowds are struggling, Mark. Yeah, and usually and historically, off the back of the autumn internationals, you the crowds bump uh, because the profile of the game raises, and that translates into higher crowds in the Premiership. Generally, if you go back over the last twenty-five years worth of data, that's what it shows. And we saw a little bit, but I mean, God, if we can't sell out a restricted Sandy Park and a, a Welford Road with the biggest club in the land playing a top table clash, then we we have got problems. Uh, and there were still a few little concerns. Um, Saints still two or three below capacity. Gloucester for a derby. I was disappointed in that. 13,000 at King's Home. That used to be higher than that back in the day. And then still you got your Irish and your and Worcesters around 6-7. I wonder whether one of the factors, and it won't be a single factor, but one of the factors might be ticket pricing. And again, not true in all grounds, but in some of the grounds, ticket pricing now for club rugby is really pretty high. And I understand what it is. They're, you know, it's because all the clubs, here we go again, it's all linked, isn't it? Clubs are making quite heavy losses. So what's, where's one of the few areas that you, if you're popular, you can you can try and recoup some of that? It's, it's through ticket pricing, you know, the old more games, charge more thing. The problem with that in the long run is you, you, you are crowding out or you're blocking out quite a big proportion of the population who simply can't afford to pay 40, 50, 60, 70 pounds to watch a game of club football. Uh, and that worries me a bit. Yeah, because we were hearing anecdotally earlier that you go sit in the rain at Bath for 42 quid. Which I think that's the cheapest. I think that's the cheapest price. Cheapest yeah. ticket at Bath, 40 quid. I think the fact they're bottom of the league is, is, is not connected to that, or it's not going to encourage people to go. But the price alone is going to discourage people 
well, casual viewers, particularly if you take a London Irish, and, and I don't, I'm not sure what their ticket pricing structure is, but there's a club who have a lot of space to fill in a in a brand new stadium and on the field are delivering a, a, a product that, that a casual rugby fan would love to go and watch. So the question has to be, why aren't they? Yeah, and I'm not sure ticket pricing is a thing for Irish. I mean, and Bath would say, well, we people will pay. We've got a, we've got a, we've got a, rel- we've got a big fan base. We've got a relatively small ground, uh, and, and we need the money. And I understand that argument entirely. I, I, I just worry a bit that we're pricing ourselves as a sport, as a league, out, and it might not matter at one or two grounds that are really nearly close to capacity every time. But if you look at it over time. This league has got increasingly expensive on average. So uh, at the start of the season, I, I went to London Irish to do a piece looking at the state of a game uh, a game out there and what it's like for a fan, the whole experience. And I sat down with the marketing guys who... Had, London Irish had, and it's a tie-in really with, with Brentford, who they share a ground with, about this model that they got from FC Copenhagen where it's the idea of a subscription. So you pay what you can afford and if you want to opt out of the subscription for a, a ticket, you can do that. They were well aware that this is going to be a slow process, that they're going to have to build something up over time. They're in, uh, Although they're in a, a rugby area, as you would call it in, in London, they're, they're aware that they have to to grow as a as a brand it's almost ground zero for them in that respect but at least they were talking about having a ticketing structure or a subscription model that is what you can afford to go in and what we're talking about here is not what you can afford it's what we'd like you to afford because mm. you're going to have to make up for some holes because guys we're sorry but we've had a really tough time with covid and we've not had crowds and we've been we've been struggling and we need to make up a shortfall and it's as mark says it's it's the quickest route from A to B, but it's a pretty treacherous route. I've just got the my uh, old club got their England ticket allocation for the Six Nations through, and the prices have gone up similarly. I mean, they are this is England. Mm. They've only got two home games, but they are 172, 142, 122, 95, and 67 is the category four, the highest. I mean, it's, it's a big jump from the autumn. Um, it'd be a jump from two years ago, and the same arguments would apply as Bath. People will took it and will be a sellout for for those two games against Wales and Ireland. It's very very expensive. Yeah, and the thing is, is that these these games uh, again. <laughs> we were talking about old man shouts at Clesley. I'm not someone that wants to say ban booze from stadiums because you have to respect that you want these to be a day out. Can you imagine spending 142 quid on your ticket and that's before you've got to travel from wherever you live in the country to get to the ground? How many of you are there? You've got to look after, you've, you know, if you want to have food and you want to and treat it like a day out, which it should have that special feel, I think, uh, for, a, for a test match. You know, once you've got your flagons of, of booze and all that and then your travel back to wherever you came from or where you're staying, that is an awful lot of money. Like, you're alienating a lot of people in that one and it's it's interesting where you you know, I'd spoke to a mate who was offered a ticket for the South Africa game which ended up being an incredible test match England-South Africa was happy to have been there and see the atmosphere firsthand of what it's like I had a mate who you know earns a pretty good living and he was offered a ticket and he said he balked at the idea of spending 200 quid on a day out he was like I don't care how good it's going to be I'm just not doing that so you talked about the London Irish are aware it's a project on the as we said on the field they're doing everything they can cool. I mean, back to back wins uh, they beat Newcastle 43-21 at the weekend 
I spoke to a Newcastle player last night and uh, just just to generally get a feel of what it, what it was like and they said it was not a good day for us I mean uh, a, a try by Adam Radwan a sen- another sensational trademark Adam Radwan mm. try uh, I mean he's he, he's slippier than a baby, baby oil testing facility isn't he he's just the way he gets through the, the traffic is unbelievable but that masks how how on top London Irish were they had the bonus point wrapped up well before half time Mm. um, and their their back three are flying and I just want to give a nod actually to Kyle Rowe who was not a product of they've produced some phenomenal back three players London Irish through their their, their, their brilliant academy system there Kyle Rowe is a guy who played um, club rugby in Scotland he he ended up playing for for air where he won some club titles in the club international he actually came through the the marvelously named Sunnyside uh, at Falkirk where I think we realized that Finn Russell came through playing for them as well um played a bit for Scotland Sevens was contracted up north but wasn't pulling up any trees someone has spotted him mm-hmm. pulled him down and he has been lighting it up and he's mm-hmm. been loving his rugby for London Irish and that's just it's like everyone is Outperforming themselves because they're together for this team, and it's just—I said last week on this podcast that they're, you're always going to be entertained when you go and watch them play, and I stand by that a hundred percent. They're just—they're just playing fun rugby, and it's—it's it's exceptional to watch. They're, 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 I do think the top four look after nine games. There looks to be a top four to me, and it's Exeter, Saracens, Quinns, and Leicester—the four teams that played that. that but there's a group underneath, Northampton, Irish, definitely, Gloucester. And we didn't think we'd say that, do we? I mean, look at Salem, Bristol. We mentioned it. We won't go back. We've, we went there last week. But you've got that group next who are really, really challenging. They're not far away in terms of points. One of them might knock the fourth one out, I, I, I think. I think there's, a, there's, a, there's certainly a chance. And Irish, they, they can beat anyone on their day. They're, they're, they're a very, very talented side. And, you know, they won a few, na- they lost a few narrowly, didn't they, early on? A couple of draws could have gone the other way. They could be even stronger position, but uh, as opposed to Bath, and Bath just can't catch a break, can they? I mean, you, I, and I know last week I said, you know, stick with it. And Helen's smiling at me. Yes, and you did. I said, you yeah, did I that. did, I did. I said, they're going to go on a run. Well, it didn't start this week. And not only did they not go on a run, they lost McNally and Cipriani and Spencer, who I think is, I think I said last week, critical to them, and Williams, all to injury. And this week, it doesn't get any easier. No, it does not. <laughs> so they lost 40-19 at Northampton, and now they're going to Europe to face Leinster and then La Rochelle. Yeah. And just just a word uh, before we we jump onto that. Just a word about Saints. Speaking to some folk out there, mm. I mean, uh, against Bath, you've got guys like Paul Hill and Dave Ribbons and Matt Avezi's having a hell of a season. The guys yeah. up front are doing really well for Saints. But speaking to folk up there, one of the things that they keep talking about is the spine of this team is if you direct that savagery from those those front five players, the spine of that team, uh, Joano Augustus at number eight, who uh, I had heard some sceptical views from South Africa about what he could achieve coming over here and he's exceeded all expectations. He's The way he carries the ball is just what, what Saints have needed for some time, speaking to, to folk up there. But him at eight, Mitchell at nine, Bigger at 10 and Furbank at 15. I mean, that is Good the spy. needle point of your compass pointing you in the right directions where you've got to go and they're, they're ticking along. Uh, and it's... It's just, it's Mark's right. They're talking about the 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 middle tier of that, which changes almost daily. It's it's bananas how how 
how much that can change going in. But it's just Saints. Saints are just ticking along the way the way that they want to, and it's they, and they should be by the way because it's taken a few years to get to this point of their project. So they should, but they've they've just got it right right through the middle of that team. Whereas the team that I think, sorry uh, about this, uh, Mr. Producer, but the team that I think is in really does not look in good shape is Bristol. And first half against Gloucester, they looked absolutely rudderless. I, I couldn't quite see what they were they were trying to do. It was uh, they, they didn't have they didn't have any no real carry up front. Um, no one's getting no one's no one's breaking the gain line up front. Um, they were sort of relying on Randall doing something, or you know, a, a, until Radrata came on, and he completely changed the game for ten minutes. And you thought, oh my lord, he's going to turn this round on his own, but he didn't because the other bits of it just aren't working. And I, I look at their squad, and they've got quite a lot of their players back now. Um, they've still got a couple. Morahan came back though. Radrata's back. Pietar's still playing. You know. Uh, the captain's back. They weren't. They they were a much stronger team, and they still didn't look very good. And there's nowhere to hide in this league. I, they might have to go. They might. It's, it sounds extraordinary. Less than half a season after being top of the league, I think they might have to do a rebuild. I, I really do think that squad looks a little bit bent out of shape in terms of this management to me. And by that you mean too many. Highly played players, and no, no, it's in the age profile. Right, partly he looks quite. You, you look down the age profile of that squad. Is uh, they run on sort of twenty? I know, I know, I know. Listeners, twenty people don't run on, but you know what I mean. Their top twenty looks looks a little bit out. It looks a bit out, but look, the age balance doesn't look quite right, and their depth you has been shown not to be good enough. But they're right on the cap, mm. you know, and they've got two marquee players, so. You can get yourself into this position and Bristol will come back because they've got a lot of resources and they're the biggest rugby city in, in England and all the rest of it. But at the moment, I'm if I was a Bristol fan, Alfie, I wouldn't be expecting a charge up the table at the minute. I may be wrong, but I, I at the minute, I'm not quite sure what you, you'd hang your hat on. So Pat Lamb's, you know, Pat Lamb had a five-year plan and his plan would have been to improve every year. But that's not... A natural. I mean, teams don't always just keep improving. What well, well, he is said this, this year that the that anything. What did he say? Anything other than a championship final and a Champions Cup semi would be a failure. I think I'm quoting him correctly there. I maybe. Pat, I, I hate misquoting that people. Was is, that, fit, is that right? That was only fit with the plan. He. I mean, they were ahead of they were ahead of schedule for a couple of years. I guess the question I'm asking is in terms of team building, building a a club. It's, it's unusual for that progression to be linear. Yeah, that that's true. That that is that is true. But I, I mean, I I think he did say that at the beginning. Mm. And once you say that publicly, you you've pretty much put your targets out there. And well, I, there's no way they're going to reach either of those two targets this season. Not not a, not a chance in hell. Coming up next on the ruck, Jess Hayden will join us for her weekly roundup of the women's game. And we will have our god, goddess or devil of the week. The Premier 15s is back and the biggest headline is the broadcast deal that was announced last week. The Premier 15s will now have one match per round shown on the BBC across the BBC Sport app, iPlayer and the TV channels. This move brings the women's game to new audiences as it was also announced that all of the women's Six Nations games will be available to watch in the UK and Ireland, which is a huge step forward for women's rugby. 
This news came at a great time too, as 1.15 million people tuned in to last week's Women's Barbarians match against South Africa. From that match, Bristol Bears' Simi Pam can add try-scoring Barbarian to her CV, alongside her full-time job as a doctor working in the NHS. She returned to her club in time for a clash with Saracens, who managed to edge a close win, 17-12, to replace the Bears at the top of the table. Elsewhere, Loughborough Lightning versus Gloucester Hartbury was another game full of excitement, as Loughborough won by just two points in his 33-31 thriller and celebrated it like it was the final. The other scores from this weekend are Ross 22, Sail Sharks 8, Harlequin 69, DMP Durham Sharks 7, and finally Worcester Warriors 12, Exeter Chiefs 29. Thanks to Jess for that. Um, right, guys, uh, weekly feature, Lord and Goddess of the Week, or Devil if, uh, if, if Mark's still feeling cross with people. Um, do you want to go first, Mark? Yeah, fine. I'm not feeling cross with people. I'm I'm full of bonhomie and, uh, and Christmas, uh, spirit. Christmas, Christmas spirit. Yes, my god of the week is George Ford. Um, I think it's really difficult when you decide you announce you're going elsewhere, and it puts an awful lot of pressure on a player, particularly in a pivotal position in a sold out game, top of the top of the table clash, as it were. And I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Um, won the without him, Leicester lose and. Uh, in the situation he was in, I thought that was admirable. Oh, yeah, uh, I had a runner-up. Uh, I think Jack Dempsey, Dempsey deserves uh, a nod for the way he's been playing for Glasgow Warriors recently. Uh, rabble rising game against the Dragons. Uh, he scored a try off the back of a scrum on on the opposition ten meter line, where he just picked up, and went, you know what, foot down, and just bolted in and scored. Um, he's top in the league for ball carries, offloads, and he seems to just be loving life at Glasgow Warriors. It seems like a perfect perfect signing. Uh, for them this season as they head into his first experience of Europe they're playing La Rochelle this weekend so see where that goes but um, I, I think I feel like I have to mention this I don't want to go into the details of the tragedy uh, about him losing his son but to see Gianni Duplessis come on at the weekend return to rugby um, very 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 small enforced small squad, uh, crowd uh, in Cape Town for the game but Gianni Duplessis coming on for the Lions after the just soul crushing torture that they've been through it's just incredible to see him coming back into the field yes um, mine uh, on a much lighter note from Sandy Park whoever's decision it was for the players to run straight off the field and into the beer tent uh, gets my vote I'll, I'll give it to Rob Baxter as he oversees everything but just the broader point about we were talking earlier about fan engagement and and, and getting people involved I just thought it was a it was a lovely touch. It was probably good for good for the players, but it was really good for the, the extra fans for for those guys to go and do that. And uh, and we all love to we all love to see that. It takes us back to all of those days, Mark, when Dean Richards used to take Quinns to the pub <laughs> after every game. <clears throat> uh, no, I thought it was a lovely touch. Um, so I'll give it to Rob Baxter for that. Uh, with a passing mention to to Luke Pierce, which we've already discussed. So there we have it. We have the Robbie World Top Ten. We have. The Rucks, Gods of the Week. Thanks for joining us, Al, Mark, all the listeners. Please follow or subscribe wherever it is you get your pods. And we'll be back next week looking at the first round of Champions Cup and Challenge Cup Rugby. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. 
Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.